This is one of my favorite Sundays and one of many of your favorite Sundays. Uh, But before we get to that, I'm going to kind of share just a few thoughts with you this morning about what it means to, to go from being common to uncommon. I'm wrapping up this series called Uncommon because we serve an uncommon God. And God moves us in uh, this kind of direction from being common to uncommon as he uses us. Let me, let me ask you a question before we dive in. How many of you would say at one point in your life or even right now have felt called or feel called to full-time ministry? Raise your hand. Come on, just keep it up. I'm gonna take a picture just so I remember who... Do I have here, right here. Okay, all right, we'll put them, put them down. Um, I'm gonna ask you that question again for everyone in just a moment, but if you were here last week, we kind of talked a little about this uncommon cause that we have as a church, and I shared with you our church mission statement. If you remember it, say it out loud. If not, it's gonna be up here on the screen, but would you say this with me? Elevate Church exists, here we go, to help people far from God, One more time, Elevate Church exists to reach their full potential in Christ. And as we said, that's what we're about. We're not about building a denomination. We're not about building a building. We're not about making uh, the name of Elevate Church famous. We're about elevating the name of Jesus in our city. We exist to help people who are far from God reach their full potential. And again, we all fit in that spectrum someplace. Now, Let's see how this plays out in the church. How do we do that? How, how, how does this get organized in the church world? Well, Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 11, kind of tells us this is what God's word says. God's word says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to his church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, their responsibility is to equip whom? Say it out loud. God's people for works of ministry and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Let me ask you this question. Who do you think God's people uh, is talking about? Who do you think God's people includes? You. Anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus, anyone who has crossed that line and said, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, I'm gonna follow you. You are part of God's people. And so if I would be on this this list, one of the, the pastors or the teachers, then it's my role as I read it to equip God's people, you, to do works of ministry. So the way I read this is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should see yourself as being called to ministry. You are, in fact, a minister. Now, does that mean, Colby, I have to quit my job? I have to, on Monday, give my two weeks, say I'm out of here, move to Africa, move to Afghanistan, you know, take my family, uproot them, go work at a church, Probably not. Now maybe for some of you, maybe that is what it means, but for most of us, probably not. Because I believe that you are able to do some of the greatest ministry right where you are, right where God has you. There are people in your life already around you that are waiting to receive ministry from you. But I hope what you'll see is the fact that every single person who is a follower of Jesus is called to minister to others, so one more time, how many of you would say you feel called to full-time ministry? Raise your hand. That looks a lot better. Some of you still aren't getting it, but that's okay. (laughs) We're all called as followers of Jesus to do ministry. Now, you might have trouble with that title. 
of being called a minister. And some of you might even push back and say, well, I'm not qualified. I don't feel good enough about that. I don't know enough Bible or Colby when I, I can't even pray with people because my palms get sweaty and I, I get nervous when, when I do that. How can I be called to minister to others? Well, I'm gonna come back to those of you in just a moment that don't feel um, qualified, that don't feel worthy, that don't feel like you are good enough. But first, let me talk to those of you that feel very confident in your abilities, that feel very uh, confident in your, your talents. Those of you that, that grew up uh, and graduated at the top of your class, where are my A students in the room that screwed up the curve for all of us C students? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you were voted most likely to succeed. Maybe you were um, one of those people that, that you were the homecoming king or the homecoming queen, that you, know, you were the best athlete, you were the smartest, you were the brightest, most talented. I have great news for you. In spite of all your gifts and abilities, God can still use you. He can. It's just that he specializes in using idiots. Not just offended a lot of you in this room. Don't get too offended. I'm saying that with a smile on my face, all right? Uh, because I'm gonna tell you why I said that in just a moment. Uh, you, know how, you know how when somebody says, uh, well, bless your heart, what they mean is you're just an idiot, right? We've all heard that before. <laughs> For example, if I fell off this, this platform and I, and I hit my head on the floor, some of you would say, well, Colby, bless your heart. But what you're really thinking you're just a stupid idiot, right? Because you got too close to the edge. When I was, uh, first began working at a church in a full-time capacity in Toledo, Ohio, my pastor approached me and he said, Colby, I want you to drive to the Cleveland Clinic because there is a girl there who used to be in student ministries who is in the hospital. She's in really bad shape. Um, and I don't know quite what's going on, but I want you to go visit her uh, and just pray with the family and all that stuff. And this is one of the first things I was ever asked to do. And I was nervous about it, not feeling good enough, not feeling qualified, you know, this, this whole way out there. In fact, on the drive to Toledo, from Toledo to Cleveland, I got a call saying, hey, things have, have taken a turn for the worse. When you get there, we're not even sure what you are walking into when you go into the room. And so when I got up to the room, the bed was empty. And all I saw was the mother in the corner. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? This is my first like task that my, my assignment I was given to go out to, to pray with this family. And I go in there and, and the mother's just sitting there by herself and I'm like, I'm so sorry you know, for your loss. And she's like, she's just getting some tests done. She'll be right back. And so <laughs> that, was my, that was how I started the thing. And then they're like, you know, well, would you, you know, pray for, anoint her with some oil? You did bring some anointing oil, didn't you? And I'm like, uh, no, not really. So I ran down to the cafeteria, and I went to the salad bar, and I got some Italian dressing. I don't know if it was Wishbone or if it was Hidden Valley. I'm not sure what it was. And in my nervousness, I came back up. I, I, I've never done this before. I took this Italian dressing, and I started kind of like, pouring it on her head and she had wishbone coming all down her face, right? And her dad looks at me and he says, your first time with the oil? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, bless your heart, right? That's what he was, <laughs> what he was meaning was, Colby, you ain't nothing but an idiot. Now again, if you're super talented, good for you. It's okay. God can still use you, but you should know that God specializes in using everyday, ordinary idiots. I'm gonna tell you why I say that in just a minute. 
Now, you still might push back, and you still might say, Colby, but you don't know my past. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know. I don't feel like I have much to offer. For those of you that would say that, I want you to know that if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, empowering you, equipping you. In fact, God has placed everything inside of you that he wants you to, to have in order to accomplish all that he wants you to do. Amen? So it doesn't matter if you feel worthy or if you feel unqualified. In fact, here's, here's a, a thought someone once told me one time, if you wanna jot this down, it's so good. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. And you should know that, that as you go, God will prepare you for everything he's put in front of you. He'll prepare you for the journey that he has you on, but it's just that God specializes in using idiots. I'm calling this message, if you wanna jot down a title, from unqualified to uncommon. That God will often use the unqualified and do the uncommon through them. And today we're gonna look at three different uh, sections of text and we're gonna talk about a very common guy, a very unqualified guy by, by all rights, by the world standard of, of what qualifications we should have. His name is Peter, and Peter messed up all the time if you know anything about him, but God was able to do the uncommon through this very common guy. Acts chapter four, Peter and John are preaching. Um, the, the church is growing, it's exploding. This, this move uh, of Jesus is just kind of catching fire. Uh, already thousands have been added to the local church and now the religious elite are trying to squash it. And so they arrest Peter and they arrest John and they're trying to figure out how on earth is this thing growing so fast? How on earth is God able to do this, this uncommon um, kind of uh, move through these very common, ordinary guys. This is how it unfolds. Look at it in Acts chapter four. Verse 13 says, now when they saw the boldness, I love that, of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated. What kind of men say it out loud? Common, uneducated, common guys. And so they were astonished because they didn't see them as anything but common. But here is, is the key. They recognized they had been with Jesus. So these uncommon, you know, everyday, ordinary, average kind of guys were doing something that was completely uncommon. How did they do it? Because they had spent time with Jesus. I'm gonna come back to that. But this word common, the Bible translators oftentimes tried to be very politically correct uh, for good reason uh, many times. But the word common uh, that we see there, the Greek word for it is actually the word, put it up there, Idiotes. You see where I'm going now, don't you? Idiotes means ignoramus. It means uneducated. It means unlearned. It means the tech technical definition is dipstick. All right, that's the word that I would use. Literally, idiotes means idiot. So this actually should read that they were astonished what these uneducated idiots were able to to do, and they recognized that they weren't just regular, you know, common, ordinary idiots, but they were people who had spent time with Jesus, and because they spent time with Jesus, they were able to do things they should not be doing. It's the moments you and I spend with Jesus that move us from common to uncommon. It's that time spent with Jesus that takes us from being uh, unqualified to doing uncommon works 
of God. Now, here's what I think is beautiful in all of this. Um, and one of the most encouraging things to me is that I feel like I'm surrounded by a bunch of idiots. Like, like I have a staff full of, of idiots. And my wife says, well, that makes you the chief idiot. And yes, it does, all right? I'm, I get excited that I'm surrounded by just a bunch of people who are just bold enough to realize, right, that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus can do what he says he can do and that we don't, have, we don't know enough not to know that nothing is impossible for God, right, that all things are possible with God, that he's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And so I don't mean we're idiots, but I just mean we're common enough, we're bold enough to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so that's what these guys were. They, they had the sense to just say, hey, Jesus, we believe who you are, and so we are going to preach your word. We're gonna take it as far as you want us to, as fast as you want us to. We're gonna tell the world about who you are. And look at uh, when Jesus came, he basically said, uh, I'm going to equip 12 people. I'm gonna bring my inner circle in, 12 guys, because I'm gonna be here for a short period of time. I wanna tell the world how they can live a, a full life, an abundant life, and then I'm gonna die on the cross. I'm going to conquer sin for the earth, and I'm gonna come back to life, and then these guys are gonna take the message throughout the world, and here we are today, reaping the benefits of these, these 12 you know, disciples of Jesus. Now, when he chose these guys, who did he choose? Like, what were the qualifications that God used, that Jesus used to choose these 12? Were they the, the most educated guys? Were they the best writers? Were they the best preachers? Were they the best, um, uh, most talented and brightest kinds of guys? No, he chose the common people, the uneducated, the idiotes. He chose those guys, the, the fishermen. He chose guys that had bad attitudes. One of them had a, had a language problem. You're right, that's, that's who he chose to carry his message to the entire world. In fact, when Jesus hung out with people, who did he hang out with? The prostitutes, the sinners, uh, people that um, uh, were accused of being, being drunks. He hung out with people of questionable behavior. Who did he not choose? He didn't choose the religious elite. He didn't choose the, the best of the best. He didn't choose the, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the, the people of the religious establishment of that time. He called everyday, ordinary idiots who believed him and took him at his word to carry the message. Now here's what's, I think, so twisted about this. Because in today's world, if you ever look for a, a senior pastor job at a church, if, if a headhunter gets a hold of you and wants you to be a senior pastor, I don't know, maybe there's some, some people that that's happened to in the room. Um, or, you know, you look on one of those church staffing sites and people say they're posting for senior pastor position, blah, blah, blah. Their qualifications that they will list out most often are like 10 years of experience. Uh, they need to be married and they need to have a seminary degree, which means that most churches today Jesus Christ, the son of God himself, could not be the pastor based on the world's qualifications. Like we have this, this backwards, based on, on man's measurements, man's standards, right? What, what God is looking for, though, is some common, everyday, ordinary people that he can do uncommon things through. People who just take him at his word, who know God, who believe in Jesus, who have spent time with him, 
which is key, and are willing to follow him no matter what the cost. And I believe we have a church full of, of, of common idiotes, people who would just take God at his word, that would rise up and, and go to the ends of the earth, just doing whatever it is that God called us to do. So if you're the best of the best here today, it's cool. God can still use you. Just know that he specializes in using idiotase, all right? If you're taking notes, here's what I hope sinks in. Jot this down as we move from unqualified to uncommon. Moving from unqualified to uncommon means going all in. Just jot that down, going all in. In other words, this is more than just coming to church for an hour on the weekends. That you are not a, a Christian in title only, but you are a Christian in action. You're actually living it out. And I say that because what I've discovered is there are a lot of people, maybe even in this room, who believe in Jesus, but you live your life as though he doesn't exist. Like you believe in him. Maybe you've even professed your faith in him, but you're living in a way that it really hasn't impacted you or changed you at all. You might have said, I believe in Jesus enough not to go to hell because I don't wanna do that, but I don't believe in him enough to change my life to impact anything about my life, to make a difference in, in how I spend my time. It's a casual or a convenient kind of Christianity. And there are a lot of people that fall into that, that category. But take a look at Peter, the guy we're talking about. He was a, a fisherman. One day he was out on the lake and he wasn't catching many fish. And so Jesus calls out to him from the shore, hey, cast your nets on the other side. And so they do so. And if you've heard the story, man, they, they had this miracle catch, right? So much so that other boats had to come around and help them pull the fish out of the net. Here's Peter's response in Luke chapter five. When Simon Peter realized, that's an important word, what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, oh Lord, please leave me because I'm a sinful man. In other words, I'm not good enough. I realize who you are, I'm not qualified. I realize who you are, I'm not worthy. I realize who you are. You know what, I just don't feel like, like I, have, I have worth compared to you. When you come face to face with who Jesus is, we will come face to face with our sinfulness. Did you know that? Like the closer we get to God, the more we understand how sinful we actually are. And look what Jesus says to the sinful man, verse 10, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch, what's he gonna catch? Men. So I'm seeing a lady in here is going, that's my verse right there. I'm gonna, from now on, I'm gonna catch me some men. Just kidding. What is Jesus really saying? He's saying from now on, you'll make a difference. From now on, even if you push back, even if you don't feel called to ministry, even if you don't feel qualified, from now on, you're going to make a difference. And so here's, here's what scripture says, verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore and check it out. They left everything and followed him. This is huge. I don't want you to miss this. They left it all. Fishing would have been uh, his, his family's occupation perhaps for generations that he was going to follow in that line. This would have been his, his, his career this would have been uh, leaving his dreams, leaving his equipment, maybe even leaving his, his family because they saw something in Jesus, because they recognized something in him that was so amazing, they had no other choice but to go all in. When you recognize who Jesus is, it demands a response. When you recognize what Jesus has done for you, 
that he's paid for your sin so you don't have to pay for it anymore. It demands a response. And so these guys left everything. Like they, they went all in. They said, whatever you want, we're, we're gonna follow you. Notice what they didn't do. They didn't pray a prayer that said, Jesus, I, wanna, I don't wanna go to hell. Save me, forgive me of my sins, amen, and then go on living their life as usual. Go on living their life like normal. They didn't do that. They didn't pray a prayer that was self-centered. They instead lived a life that was Jesus-centered, and they followed him. They were willing to go all in. Have you ever watched the, the World Series of Poker? Anybody watch that on, on ESPN or one of those channels? Like, these guys just, I, I was thinking about that and thinking about what it means to go all in. Because I think a lot of times what we do is, at church, we, we sit at the table and we might ante up. We might, you know, throw in a chip or two. And, and that's kind of the way that we treat Jesus. Jesus, I just wanna, I'll take a little bit of you. I'll take the part where I don't have to go to hell anymore because I don't wanna do that. But the part where you actually get involved in my life, get involved in who I date, get involved in how I live, get involved in my finances, get involved in my family, in my marriage, I don't necessarily want that part. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in a little bit. I'm gonna take, take you know, a couple chips and I'm gonna put them in. But these guys here, like without even knowing, without even fully understanding, they had an encounter with Jesus that amazed them and they said, we're willing to go all in. They just shoved all their chips in. For some of you, I can see that. I believe that some of you are there. You're ready to, to go all in. For others of you, perhaps you're just sitting at the table, just tipping, just chip, putting chips in here and there, but moving from, from unqualified to uncommon means going all in. And the moment you recognize what Jesus did for you and who he is, you can't help but to respond. Jesus, I recognize you're the son of God. I recognize that you paid for my sin, I'm going all in. I recognize that, that you want me to follow you, I, I'm going, you want me to follow you in baptism, maybe that's for you today, I'm going all in. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'm going all in. And Jesus is not content with being just a piece of your life. He wants to be a part of your entire life because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if anyone comes after him, he must deny himself, right, take up his cross, and follow. Going all in means taking up your cross and leaving it behind and following Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to jot down. In fact, this is the last thing I want you to jot down this morning. As we move from unqualified to uncommon, we become unstoppable. Here's what I believe. As we go all in, as individuals go all in, and as we partner together and surrender and follow Jesus and run hard after the cause of Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we become unstoppable. Peter and John, as this church was, was blowing up, like, like they became unstoppable. The, the, the word just kept spreading. And once again, the, they were arrested, they were put in prison, and it was driving the, the religious elite of the day crazy because they didn't know what to do about it. How do we put an end to this? How do we shut this whole, whole thing down? Should we threaten them? Like, do we beat them up again? Do we just kind of do away with them and kill them? What should we do? And a very wise man named Gamaliel stood up, and this is what he said in Acts chapter five, verse 38. He said, here's what I think you guys should do. Here's my advice in this present case. Leave these men alone. Like, let it go. Step off. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's gonna fail. 
is not gonna last. If, if it's not from God, it's gonna fail. Let me just say something. If, if the purpose or, 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 or activity of this church is of human origin, it's not gonna last. It'll fail. If, if it's about anything other than Jesus, anything other than what God wants it to be, if it's just a model, if it's just a building, it's going to fail. It'll go away, period. But if it is from God, he says, you will not be able to, what's that word? Stop it. You won't be able to stop it. You won't be able to shut it down. You can try all you want, and they did. You can criticize these guys. It just made them kind of more, more, more bold about, about preaching the good news. You could, you could kill them, and they did. But what it did it was it inspired others to join in the movement. You cannot stop these guys. He says you will only find yourself fighting against God. And by the way, that's a bad fight to be in. You don't want to find yourself fighting against God. And when enough unqualified uncommon people come together and say, Jesus, we believe in you. We take you at your word. We know that all things are possible with you. We're gonna spend time with you. He takes us from unqualified to uncommon to unstoppable, and you can't stop a movement like that. Um, you know when you have a, 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 group of, a group of animals together, they have a, a certain name? Uh, let me explain this a little bit better. If, if you were to have a bunch of cows, for example, right, together in a group, they are called a what? A, a herd. Very good. Let's move on to something a little more difficult. What if you had a group of lions together? What are they called? A pride. Awesome. Well done. What about dolphins? A pod. A pod of dolphins. How about, how about this one? Now, this, this is a bunch of crows together flying. What do you call a group of crows? A murder. That's kind of scary, really, isn't it? Has anyone seen the movie The Birds? Like, like that's, that's, that's scary. How about, how about a group of buzzards together? What are those called? That's called a committee. That's why we don't have committees in this church right there. I'm serious, dead serious about that. But they really are called a committee, by the way. Uh, how, about, how about this one? A bunch of flamingos together. What's that called? It's called a flamboyance. What? Way to go. Uh, let me give you one more. And before I tell you about a bunch of rhinos together, rhinos, if you know what a rhino is, a rhinoceros, right? It's a big animal. You know, it's got a big old horn uh, on, its, on its face. You see, I'm just, that's the technical term of rhino, big horn on its face. Rhinos can get up to be about 5,000 pounds or so. Like, they can be massive animals um, and can run up to speeds of 34 miles per hour, all right? They can, they can go pretty fast, but the thing, the problem with a rhino going, you know, 5,000 pounds, going 34 miles per hour, is they can only see about 30 feet in front of them. So 34 miles per hour, right, just hauling it, they can't see what's at 31 feet in front of them. So rhinos when they come together, are appropriately named a crash. That's what you call a group of rhinos together. They're called a crash. And I love that. Because on one hand, I sense us being a church where, hey, you know what? We might not know what's, what's gonna happen five years from now. 
We might not know as a church what's gonna happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but we are an unstoppable crash that at 30 feet from now, we got it, but if you're 31 feet in front of us, you better look out, right? And together we unite and we storm the gates of hell because we believe that we have the best message in the world and we become unstoppable. And when a church becomes unstoppable, can I tell you something? And just amazing things happen. Like what we're gonna experience today through baptisms. It's just yesterday already, 19 people got baptized. How amazing is that? And most of them weren't planning on it. Is they recognized who Jesus was. They recognized what Jesus did for them and it demanded a response from them. So they crossed the line of faith, said yes to Jesus, and then had to go public with their faith because God's word tells us, hey, the very first thing that you do after receiving Jesus is tell people about it. And the way you do that, that's what water baptism is. It's a outward declaration of something that's happened inside of you. A changed heart, a changed life. Not because you, you, you went in just a little bit, but because you went all in. And when a church comes together and does that again, amazing things happen. In fact, I wanna read you a letter um, as I get ready to kind of close this thing down, I'll have the band come back out. But let me give you an example of the amazing things that happen when the church actually acts like the church. Here's a letter I got from a guy named Chad. And this is what he says. When Kelly and I first met, I had just come through a pretty tough time. I made a few poor choices that had some consequences. I'd hit rock bottom and felt there was nothing left. I was so disappointed with myself and I felt so lost and alone. I was just going through the motions every day without much purpose. And I think that probably describes quite a lot of people in this room today. You feel like you're just going through the motions. You, you just you know, aren't exactly sure the direction that you're headed in. He says, I had seen Kelly before in passing. We both worked at the mall in different stores. We started walking more and more. Uh, and fast forward uh, to the future, they were, got married. Life for me, he says, has meaning again. I had a loving wife who accepted me for me, two amazing kids that loved having me as their dad. And despite all my new joy and happiness, though, there was still something missing. Trying to fill his life with, with other things. And as we all know, there's nothing that this world can, that can permanently satisfy. He says, something in the back of my mind, something deep inside of me that tugged at me every once in a while. That's what was missing. I didn't know what it was, so I ignored it because after all, life was great and he thought it was just him. After a couple years of being married, Kelly started talking about wanting to go to church. I instantly cringed at the thought. When I was a kid, I remember my mom making me go to church every Sunday. I hated it. It was traditional. It was stuffy and I wasn't able to relate to anything. He says, or maybe it just was that I didn't wanna hear anything that was being said. Maybe I didn't understand what life could be like with God. Whatever it was like, I eventually, whatever it was, I eventually stopped going and grew further away from any type of connection with the church and with God. So when Kelly wanted to start going, I was completely opposed to the idea. But before Kelly and I were together, she was a single mom of two kids, one with special needs. She received a mailing at her old house about Elevate Church. And now that we were family, she decided she was gonna give it a try. She knew she needed something in her life as she too was struggling with so much. 
She was raised in a Catholic church, but had long since lost connection with that. And she felt it wasn't for her. She needed something more relative to her life. For weeks, Kelly went to Elevate alone. She always asked me to go, and my answer was always no. As time passed, I thought about the example I was setting for two impressionable children who had already been through so much in their young lives. And I knew how bad Kelly wanted me to go with her and how bad she wanted our family to live life with God. So I finally said, all right, let's do this. We started making 9.30 service at Elevate part of our weekly routine. After the first time, I was very intrigued. He says that something that had been tugging at me became more prevalent. I started feeling like this really was a great thing. Our family attending church every week was making sense. I was enjoying my time at Elevate and it became something we all looked forward to each week. Things were really changing for the better for all of us. Then Kelly started hinting and talking about wanting to get baptized. While I was really enjoying everything I was getting from and experiencing at Elevate, I just wasn't ready to take that step. Kelly talked more and more about it. The kids began getting excited, especially Caitlin. When the water uh, baptism weekend was almost here, Kelly signed up our whole family to do it together. And I still don't know if it was what I wanted to do or not. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I wanted to be a father that showed his kids they can do anything. They can be anybody and make decisions they felt were right with for them, no matter what anyone else told them or how anyone else made them feel about it. He says, so there we were, standing in line, waiting to be baptized as a family. He said, the closer it came to our turn, the more my anxiety rose. And then he says, when I saw Kelly come up out of the water, I instantly saw a difference in her face. Her tears of joy flipped a switch inside my heart. At that moment, I loved her more than I ever had. I felt like there wasn't enough room inside of me for all the emotions I was feeling. It was overwhelming. Then it was Alex's turn. And when he came up out of the water, the smile on his face added to the emotional flood I was experiencing. I was then standing next to the tub, helping Caitlin in for her turn to be baptized. And I was so excited to be right there holding her hand, actually being a part of her baptism. He says, then it was my turn. And as I sat in the water waiting for my turn, I remember Dave talking to me. I heard his voice, but his words were just words. I was so lost in the moment that I felt frozen. And when Dave dunked me underwater and I came up, time stood still. What lasted no more than a couple seconds felt so much longer. I saw, I love this, a new me standing with my family all of us smiling, but in a different way than ever before. He says, we all had this glow. And as I look back, I know now it was the glow of a new life and a new beginning. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, I can't tell you how I feel today. It's difficult to find the words to truly express the emotions. I will never be able to thank Kelly enough for getting our family to take the steps to get us where we are. We all have a greater sense of purpose. We all want so much more out of this life. We've started serving now during the 11:15. They've gone all in uh, as a way to give back and hopefully help someone else. 
who was where I once was, get to meet God and form a relationship. We're all grateful for where we are in this life, and we can't wait to see what amazing things God has in store for us in the future. Chad, and he writes in there, man, I hope I could convey this in a way that made sense. And I'm like, Chad, you did an amazing job of conveying. This is why we do what we do. Chad felt not good enough. Chad felt unworthy. Chad felt unqualified. But because he spent time with Jesus, started coming, started getting invested, he went from unqualified to uncommon. Can I tell you something? He is an uncommon father. He is an uncommon dad, leading his family closer to Jesus. Kelly is an uncommon mother. She's an uncommon wife, loving her family closer to Jesus. And that's what happens when a church comes together, that we are just crazy enough, bold enough to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do, and that he can do way more than we can ask or imagine. And united together, I believe this church is unstoppable. And so we all have a step to take this morning. Here's what I want us to do. Would you bow your heads? In just a moment, we are gonna celebrate with so many people that came ready to be baptized, but we're also gonna celebrate with so many, I believe today, that, that came and they, they weren't prepared for this. But because you recognize today who Jesus is, the very fact that you are here, and you, you might say, Colby, this is, you're, you're speaking to me because I feel extremely far from God. I feel extremely unqualified. I feel extremely unworthy. Well, if your worth is based on how much, uh, uh, if someone is willing to pay for something, if value is based on that, well, you should know that you are worth so much because God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you to die for all the mistakes you've made, to die for all the, the sin that you carry, to die for all the bad choices that you've made, to die for those feelings of shame and guilt that you carry with you, that his death on the cross conquers sin in our life, past, present, and future, the moment we believe in him. We confess him as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, and then in that moment, we are also raised to new life in Christ. We get a fresh start, but it's not about going in just a little bit. It's about going all in. It's about leaving your boat. It's about leaving your net. It's about leaving it all behind and saying, Jesus, I will follow you with my entire life. Wherever you lead me is where I'll go. For some of you, this is why you're here today. Because you recognize all that Jesus has done for you. And you wanna receive him as Lord and Savior of your life. You're gonna put your trust in him for salvation. You're gonna trust in his death on the cross for payment for your sins. And I wanna invite you to do that right now with every head bowed, every eyes closed in this room. If you'd say, Colby, this is why I'm here. I know I need to go all in. Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you've been playing with church. Maybe you've been just sitting at the table, but you're ready to shove all your chips in and say, I'm not playing with this anymore because Jesus, I know what you did for me. And that demands a response from me. And my response today is I'm gonna confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, if you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, 
That that prayer uh, to ask forgiveness, that prayer uh, of sinners repenting and following Jesus. If you'd say, Colby, I'm gonna pray it right along with you. Would you raise your hand right now and just hold it up high? Praise God for you. Praise God for you. Thank you for being bold. Just be bold and keep that up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. So many in this room. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Say something like this to God. The most important part is that you believe it in your heart. Jesus, today, I'm going all in. I know that you went all in for me on the cross. And so right here and right now, I'm going all in for you. Because I can't do this without you. I don't want to do this uh, apart from you. I don't want to have you be a part of my life, but I want you to be all of my life. So Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for, for caring the very thing that you died for. At this moment, I repent and I choose to trust you and I give it back. And I ask God that you save me that you come into my heart, that you make me new in Jesus' mighty name, amen.